If you have your Bible, if you didn't get there already, John chapter 2, verse uh, 13, um, we're going to look at this. And I want to tell you, I'm going to let you keep track of this uh, on your own, uh, that last week ended and this week begins two distinct time periods in John. And so if you want to kind of track those on your own, when I'll I'll tell you when they're happening, you track them, you're going to get a little surprised at the end. Uh, but not like a treat or a toy or that kind of thing, you know. It just you're going to see something that is revealed through the writer of John uh, with that. So a distinct time period ends at the end of where we were at last week, ch- verse 12 of chapter two, and this new time period begins uh, in John this week. We see that Jesus has gone now down from Cana. If you kind of think Cana up here, up in the north, he's gone down to Jerusalem. Now your translation might have said he went up to Jerusalem. We always think of up as going north, but it's because Jerusalem set up high, and that's why it would be written this way. So Jesus is come uh, to Jerusalem. So that's his setting. That's where we begin. Now I remember in eighth grade, the very first time that uh, it wasn't my first crush on a girl, but I think it was the first time I ever did anything about it, right? Do you remember that time, men, in your life, uh, first time? So, uh, but I decided one morning, this was second semester, eighth grade year, so I don't know, what was I, 14 at the time, and uh, I went to school a little early and went by the uh, 7-Eleven, which is a, you know, quality established, meant to buy uh, some sort of gift that you want to give someone, and uh, right at checkout, you know how they have these, these different oddities next to the checkout line? Uh, it was the same back then, and I got a, a, a rose. It was a, a flower uh, that was there uh, on the way out. It wasn't real. It was made of something. It couldn't have been something too incredible because this was 7-Eleven, right, that I bought it at. So I bought that little flower thing, and I took it, and I gave it to this girl named Kelly that I had had my eye on at school, and uh, in that way was asking her if she might go to the, the, the junior high version of the final dance of the year, whatever we called it, I can't quite remember. Um, she uh, promptly said no, um, and so I did not go with her. Um, but I remember that, like that 
like the, 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 for me, the guts it took to say, all right, I'm going to go and I'm going to get this item. I'm going to give it to her and I'm going to ask her. That's like the first time we use that phrase, I was putting myself out there, right? And when you put yourself out there, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. There's a risk involved. That one didn't work out very well for me uh, that day. But I remember that feeling vividly to today, looking for her on campus before school started, knowing, like, I mean, we're, this is it. We're, we're doing it, right? And, and so that's what we're going to look at today. In this passage, the concept of putting yourself out there or the concept of offering yourself out. Because when we think of the temple, when we think of worship in the temple, and in the same way, when we think of coming to church and worship in the church, I'm not sure we always have exactly what God's word teaches about that. And it's actually quite simple, and we're going to discover it in this passage today. So I give you enough time to look at John chapter 2, verse 13, right? Let's just grab it, grab your sermon notes, and we'll just jump right into it. Verse 13 tells us it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover. Now, this is one of the festivals that they would celebrate, and they would actually come from all over to Jerusalem, all Jewish people, to celebrate Passover. You remember Passover from the Old Testament when at the very end, the last plague before God delivered the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he said the firstborn would be destroyed that night in every home except for the home where the blood was put over the door of a pure animal, right? And so when that happened, the angel of death, as the, word, as the, the scripture tells us, passed over those houses. And so we get the Passover and the celebration of the Passover, which happens regularly. And this is what they're remembering in the Passover. They're remembering their total dependence on God for the one who would deliver and what they did in response now to celebrate is they would offer their first fruits. They would offer their best as a tribute to God. So it was kind of like this connection of God, they were offering or, or God was going to take their best, their firstborn. And now they are offering as a way of saying, God, you didn't take our firstborn. We are grateful. We are thankful. From here on out, we will offer our first fruits to you in celebration of Passover. That's the first thing that happened uh, at Passover every year. That's what's going on here. That's the introduction to this story. So now, if you had cattle, if you had something large and you could not get it from where you lived to Jerusalem, right? And as the city grew, it became tougher and tougher to do that type of thing. And it became easier and easier just to buy something when you got there that was kind of a substitute for your first fruit. So if you said, hey, I had a really nice, you know, fattened calf I was bringing as my first fruits, couldn't bring it, well, you'd go and you'd try to find and buy that type of thing as a substitute because you couldn't bring it. But the thought was first fruits. We're offering our best to you. So now we see in verse 14 here, Jesus found the temple in there those who were selling cattle, sheep, and doves, as well as those involved in uh, exchanging currency. That's what they're doing in the temple. Now, picture this. Picture this whole stage kind of as the full temple. And then in the middle of the temple would have been the place of worship. 
walls again here with steps up to it. And inside here would be where you go to present your, in this case, well, your first fruits and to worship as well. This is where the Levite priest would hold up and do their ritual of uh, uh, cleansing and whatnot that they would do, not just in this festival, but at other times. Just outside of these steps is where all of this market was going on. All of this craziness was going on in this area. And so Jesus comes in, and as you may know, he freaks out just a little bit. Let's understand this. They're selling cattle, sheep, and doves. Now, what people are coming to do is they're coming to give their first fruits, fruits, and it's known as a tribute, right? You might have heard this before. You come and you give tribute. Sometimes we see it in our movies where people come and give tribute to kings. It's, it's a minha is what it's, it's called in the Greek. And you would come and you would offer this to the Lord. But in offering your first fruits, it was the equivalent of offering yourself, so if I came in and I just was like, I don't know, I've got a bunch of junk here. I'll just grab something. I'll give it to you. I don't know. Whatever. I gave you something. That wouldn't be the equivalent of offering myself. That would be the equivalent of just offering whatever. But if I came and I was like, man, where is this is the absolute best, the priceless thing I have, and I offered that, it was seen as the equivalent of offering yourself. And so that was the thing in the minha, the tribute to the Lord, is that you were offering yourself to the Lord. That's the core aspect of worship. In fact, as they entered the temple, there was supposed to be a Levite priest. Jesus actually critiques this, but there's supposed to be a priest who is actually blessing people as they come in. And the blessing, we would understand the blessing if it was in English, as the priest saying, come offer yourself unto the Lord. And that was the blessing that would have been offered. So that was the understanding. They would offer themselves. And you know what? We should understand when we come to the Lord's house, when we come to church, that it's equal. We, when we come to the Lord, we should bring tribute. We should bring a tribute. We should bring our first fruits. We should bring our best. Now, uh, over the years, that has kind of materialized in different ways. Sometimes people thought, well, I need to dress up and wear my best outfit I own, and I'm bringing my best before the Lord. And I suppose with the heart, that might have been first fruits. That might be accurate. But think about it more in terms of bringing yourself, bringing your best to the Lord. Now, sometimes your best is tired and ragged and frustrated and you had to finagle with the kids, and all that kind of stuff that goes on, you know, sometimes your best you're not so proud of. But do you know why there was doves involved here as well? Because not everybody could afford cattle. And so there was always provision for the poorest of the poor to bring whatever they could bring. And so the same is true. When we come to the Lord, we should bring tribute to the Lord. We should bring tribute. We should bring our best before him. Now, let's understand Jesus' actions, because this might be the most famous thing uh, besides the cross that Jesus did, thing that sticks out with us, or the thing that maybe has the biggest question mark on it at time. You know, why does Jesus uh, get so upset here? Let's just take a, a look at what's going on. They're selling cattle, sheep, and doves, as well as they're involved in exchanging money as well. There's a whole exchange thing that's going on here uh, that we don't necessarily have time to get into. But let me just say, overall, this is all happening in the temple courts. 
You've got to understand, when it's in the temple, the leaders control it 100%. No private vendors. You know, it's not like on the streets where you go out. It's when it's in the temple, they control it entirely. Think about it this way. When you go to the movies, right, what does the sign on the door say? No outside food or drink, right? They say, don't, you can't bring your own food. I don't care if there's a popcorn machine right outside the movie theater where you can buy the biggest popcorn for $1.99. You can't take that inside. Well, once you get inside, you can purchase popcorn for $1.99. No, you can purchase popcorn for, you know, I don't know, $14.99, whatever it costs at the movie theater. That's probably too high. You could purchase that. They're going to set the price for whatever it is, right? That's what's going on here. That the, the leaders were setting the price on this. And there was significant price gouging that was going on when they would go in. But they had, the people had no other way that, to, to manage it. They had to do this because it was inside the temple court. So the temple leaders were profiting off worship. You understand that? The temple leaders are profiting off of worship. It's not that the temple leaders were saying, hey, you need to tithe your 10% as the Bible tells us to do and give generously as God's word tells us to. And leaving it at that, they were actually taking opportunity to actually gouge them in a way where they couldn't do anything otherwise. Let's take, for example, you came in every first Sunday of the month and we did communion, right? And let's just say you felt like, like I cannot not take communion. Like, like that is so central and important for me to take communion. God's word teaches me to do this in remembrance when we gather, right? And we charged you for it. And let's say we charged you in a way that was like that little cup and that little piece of bread, you know, that's 10 bucks, really? And, and you're like, well, you know, what are you going to do? You got to have communion, you know? You want to go out here without communion? That would be a problem. We would be profiting off worship. That is what's going on here. That's what Jesus sees when he comes in. This is why he's so frustrated. And so the, it tells us in verse 15, he made a whip from ropes. Or maybe your translation says cords. This is an interesting thing is... A cord was actually a measuring tool. So what they would do is they would, tie, they would take a, a rope around something and, and then they would kind of you know, make a mark and that would tell them how kind of large something was. So when you're talking especially about animals, right, and you're talking about, I don't know, the fattened calf here, you're thinking that rope is very helpful. So think in terms of like a cloth ruler, right, that we put around ourselves to measure us. We want it to be smaller, of course, but... Um, but in their measurement, that cord would have been very important to know. And so they're, they're basically using this cord to see, does what you brought measure up? They would have had their own example. Does what you brought measure up to what we think you should have to have as your minha or your tribute to the Lord? So these ropes would have been available. Jesus takes these measuring rods and he puts them together. He makes some form of whip. We're not quite sure what it looked like, but he made some form of whip, and he starts to drive them out. He drove everyone out. 
the religious leaders, anyone they employed to work these tables, the animals themselves, everyone, he drove it all out. And listen, this is with the measuring cords that he's doing this. It's as if Jesus is saying this, look, the practices that you're doing right here, they don't measure up to true worship. And Jesus uses these cords and he drives them out entirely. He's saying these actions don't measure up. In a real way, he's telling the religious leaders, you are not offering yourselves or you're not allowing people to offer themselves in worship. All of it has been distorted by what you're doing here. Do you understand yet how important worship is to Jesus? How important it is to allow people to come and to offer themselves to the Lord? How important it is that we don't distract people or we don't create barriers to people to come and to worship and offer themselves before God. That's why Jesus is so worked up here. That's what he's saying. Your actions don't measure up to how God has called us and allowed us to come worship. Now, the disciples, it tells us in verse 17, they remembered a passage Passion for your house consumes me. And they're like, man, that describes Jesus. Passion for God's house consumes. You, listen, you think church didn't matter to Jesus? You have to think again. Think deeper about that. You think church is just when people say, oh, church is just the people of God. Think again. It is, but it's much deeper and it's much more. To have space where you can come and you can offer yourself before the Lord. Where those that God has called in Jesus' day, the Levites, in these days, pastors and leaders, to that help you. The, the, the key is that we help you offer yourself and worship to the Lord or give you avenue to worship the Lord is so important to Jesus. I wonder, like, how would somebody describe your passion for God's house? passion, that it's a place to come and to offer yourself, a place for people to come and offer themselves. That's why Jesus is so worked up, because he wants this avenue to be wide open. He doesn't only think it's important for him. Like, he clears the temple here. He puts himself in a position where it's going to now be dangerous. We'll see it in the next passage. Dangerous for him to even be around religious leaders so that he would open up this door for everyone. Because offering ourselves to God is the foundation of the faith he understood. And so, so it is with us today. Offering ourselves to God is the foundation, the foundation of ourselves, or excuse me, our faith. Well, the religious leaders respond. Let's just understand how they respond here. If you look in verse 18, they say, By what authority or show us a sign? This would make total sense, nothing out of the norm here. They would say, okay, uh, you just flipped out on us. Why did you do that? By whose authority did you do this? Or did, was this just totally on your own? And will you produce some sort of sign that shows us, you know, that this is legit? This would have been common. Any rabbi or teacher that is proclaiming something or in Jesus' case doing something, you would want to know, can you vet yourself here? Can, can you show us how you think this is okay and by whose authority? Maybe they have an answer that the religious leaders would go, oh, okay. 
okay. Paul was preaching later on uh, in, in the New Testament. Paul was preaching at a place. Paul showed up at a place actually to preach, and his reputation preceded him. And they're like, we cannot let this guy in to say a word. But then somebody said, hey, Paul studied under Gamaliel. And, and they're like, oh, oh, wait a second. He studied under that guy? Oh, well, we need to let him come in and speak then. Not only that, but they, let him, they invited him back to speak again. So vetting yourself is, is not out of the norm. That's, that would have been understood. And that's what they wanted. They say, hey, show us a sign. But what Jesus responded, that's the strange thing to them. He says, destroy this temple, verse 19, and in three days, I'll raise it up. Now, remember when we talked about Jesus talking on two levels last week? This is another two-level conversation here where they would have only thought in terms of the temple. You're going to tear down this temple? You're going to tear this whole thing down? I mean, this was not like a simple build here. 46 years it took to build this, and you're going to raise it back up in three days? I don't think so. But Jesus, of course, is talking about himself. In fact, he says it that way. He says, destroy this temple. There was no this temple for the Jewish leaders. There was only the temple. And Jesus says it in this way. Build, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Not I'll build it back or I'll construct it. I'll raise it up in the terms that we would understand later when he rises from the dead. But the leaders, they, they mistook what Jesus was saying only to be talking about their temple. Why? Because this is the only Savior they could have envisioned. It's the only Savior they envisioned was their temple. They couldn't envision Jesus as a savior. Sometimes you and I, we put hope in or trust in things because we, they become the only savior we can envision. I mean, sometimes we, we keep talking the right words about Jesus as our savior, but we're putting a lot of hope and trust in our money, our material things, things like that. The, the religious leaders, all they could see was the temple, not anything that Jesus might can offer here. The people had their own response as well. Uh, the people uh, there at the festival, many believed in his name when they saw these miraculous signs. Now, we didn't get a miraculous sign in this passage, but you got to think in terms of si miraculous signs or signs, not simply as miracles, but John is meaning when somebody declares something, when they tie themselves to something, especially in the Old Testament, these are signs. And so which of these they believed in, we're not totally sure, but they believe. But then it says Jesus didn't trust himself to them because he knew all people. He didn't need anyone to tell him about human nature, for he knew what human nature was about. This is another form of Jesus saying, listen, the time is not yet come. My time hasn't come yet. These people, what they want is they want to make me a king. They want, to, they want a political leader. They want an overthrower. That's not why I came. And they can't understand that now. And so this is another way of Jesus saying, my time has not yet come. I don't know if this is different than us today sometimes. If we're not careful, people often make Jesus something he's not. It's easy for us to kind of take the name of Jesus and to attach it to some, I don't know, some ideology or some thought or some political platform or something we think. When in reality, Jesus is exactly who he says he is. 
And that's best discovered in the Gospels, reading the Gospels, and then understanding through the rest of the New Testament especially, what did the others think? And how did they respond to what they heard and how they encountered Jesus? But this wasn't the time yet for Jesus to fully reveal himself in this way. Understanding this passage for us, the church is a place for you to offer yourself to the Lord. That's what it's for. Listen, men, can I talk to you just a second, especially fathers? Church is a place for you to come and offer yourself to the Lord. It's a place for you to bring your family so you as a family are offering yourself to the Lord. It's not simply a place for your kids to come and be entertained and you're used to come and have a good time on Wednesday night. It's not really even a place just to come and learn more about the Bible in the form of just information of the Bible. All of that stuff can be helpful and encouraging, but the overarching thing is that the church is a place for you to come offer yourself to the Lord. That's what church is designed for. Our commitment is to pave the way for you to offer yourself to God. That's what we want. We want our focus to always be letting you offer yourself to the Lord. Do we want Sunday morning service to be impactful and enjoyable and you laugh and, and, and all that? Yeah, of course. But never at the expense of paving a way for you to offer yourself to the Lord. It's why we've intentionally said no to a lot of production value things. Because we don't want anything to get in the way. Or we don't want to even want to ever confuse the thought that the purpose of us being in the Lord's house is to offer ourselves before the Lord. So that leaves a final question for, for both of us, really. Are you offering yourself to God? Like this morning when you came, maybe you didn't even consider, I'm going to church to offer myself before the Lord. Are you offering yourself before God? Are you saying, God, this is me. This is all of me. I give this. Maybe you're coming this morning broken and hurt, tired, sad. I don't know what it may be. Are you offering that to the Lord? Maybe you're rolling in here and you're like, I can't even think of anything going wrong in my life. It is smooth right now. Everything's going well right now. Sometimes that's the harder time to offer yourself over to the Lord. Are you offering yourself to God? Here's what I know about God. He rarely, I don't want to say never, he rarely wants to cram himself down your throat. He usually wants to reach out and hold you when you've offered yourself to him. That's what we get in this passage. Jesus saying, look, the whole point of the temple is for people to come and offer themselves and worship to the Lord. You're perverting that. You're making profit all that. You're making a whole spectacle of all this. And it burns his anger. In fact, we get no passage, even close to equal, that describes Jesus' anger as we see in this one. And so this morning, that's my offering to you as well, to come before the Lord and offer yourself. Let's pray, and I'll give you a little time there. So, Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for your word. And I know for me personally, if it doesn't impact a single person in this room, for me personally, this word impacted me. Because I can, as a pastor, Lord, roll in here, and I can be so task-oriented, 
I need to do this, that, take care of this. Oh, I have to be the one to do this, all this kind of stuff. And I can miss that even myself in a role to lead on a Sunday morning, Lord, my calling is to offer myself before you every Sunday morning. How about you? Has the Lord put it on your heart or maybe reminded you or maybe opened your eyes up to it for the first time that the role of the church is to help you offer yourself before the Lord? Here's what I know is every time we offer ourselves to God, well, he meets us right there. Sometimes he meets us with just his grace and care and love. Sometimes he meets us with his conviction and challenge and forgiveness. Sometimes he meets us with an action step to say, now go out and do this. But there's always something. There's always a meeting when we offer ourselves to God. Would you do that this morning? Pray this, Lord, in your son's name. Amen.